Welcome, listeners, to the next edition of The Editor's Desk. I'm Rusty Reno, editor of First Things, and today I'm with Liel Olivitz, the eminent columnist, regular columnist in our fine magazine, and editor-at-large at tabletmag.com, Tablet Magazine, one of the, I think, most important publications out there, uh, and um, one that publishes material that I often envy. So welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, and shalom. Thanks. We're going to talk, well, we'll talk generally. We, you've got your column for the January issue on, basically, it's a kind of theological interpretation of uh, of Hamas, but more than Hamas, it's a kind of theological interpretation of, of, um, of I guess, terrorism, recourse to violence um, in, in, uh, without, without any sort of regard for moral constraint. Godlessness, if you will. God, yes, it's godlessness, yes. So what is, like, why, in what sense, pagan? You know, I have been struggling for quite some time to make sense of what is transpiring all, all around us. Uh, you see people who should know better making uh, preposterous assumptions uh, while observing the human body, which is clearly you know, gendered in every cell, saying, well, it is now a recorded fact that there are indeed 57 genders, and indeed they're fluid, and indeed you could choose them. And, and none of this makes sense. Uh, and, and I try to sort of kind of grapple with what is the ideological system, if any, that motivates these people. And the atrocities of October 7th, uh, in which Hamas terrorists murdered 1,200 or 1,300 Israelis, uh, kidnapped hundreds more, and committed all these crimes, uh, unlike the Nazis, who kind of labored to conceal their atrocities, committed them on camera. Um, for all the world to, to see. Um, I started thinking that what we're looking at, uh, and this is a thought that has been haunting me for a while, uh, is some kind of resurgence of paganism, uh, which, if we veer uh, for a moment from the sort of concrete historical uh, designations of the specific Germanic you know, Nordic tribes that fall under this umbrella, uh, and look at the kind of bedrock beliefs uh, of what paganism believe. Uh, first and foremost, uh, that nothing is fixed, uh, everything is changing. There's a reason that the greatest pagan poet named his masterpiece, you know, Metamorphosis. Mm. Uh, now, mm. when you see this worldview in which you wake up each morning and the, the, the god figure uh, who yesterday presented himself as a swan, today can manifest as a human, and tomorrow as the wind, uh, that creates a certain kind of anxiety. Uh, and so you uh, begin to build a worldview which is very interested in, in tribes and in war because the only real way to ascertain if you have pleased uh, these ever-shifting, ever-elusive gods is, well, facts on the ground. Here's my victory that affirms mm. that I am indeed the greatest of, mm. the, of the barbaric tribes. Um, and also this pleasure, and this I think is the most important point, this pleasure and desecration, um, the idea that we're not only um, competing here or not only trying to basically wrestle with each other, but by our assault uh, on the things that are most widely and commonly understood to be sacred, like life, mm -hmm. like dignity, 
we are uh, sort of basically overriding the the godly principle and asserting ourselves as being mightier than any divine force. Because look, look at the ease and, and carelessness with which we take lives. Look at the joy that we uh, receive from cruelty. We, we simply don't care about your, your petty uh, morality. We have overcome it, which has always been the kind of battle cry of pagans, hence child sacrifice, mm. hence you know, mm-hmm. these very intricate rituals of you know, towers of skulls. Uh, and this, to me, is what Hamas is, uh, an organization that presents itself as Islamist, but by my understanding of, of Islamism, is, is a very long way away, even from, say, your standard run-of-the-mill Muslim Brotherhood fare. Uh, the, the cruelty, the, the violence um, is precisely the point. And I think if you look, it's the last thing I'll say about this, if, if you look at, um, at human history, and, and we have a funny tendency though we learn about historical periods in school, you know, we understand that there was such a thing as the Renaissance or mm-hmm. the Middle Ages. Uh, we have a funny tendency to forget that we ourselves may live in a historical era. Uh, historical eras are very often defined as, uh, or in terms of, a struggle between uh, believers and pagans. Uh, in fact, Leviticus uh, is very, very clear on the need for, for this struggle to be to be unending, uh, for, for it is eternal and at the core of, of so much of our uh, belief system. Uh, and so I think we are living through yet another historical epoch of uh, a mighty battle against these people. You know, the, you know, part of the way I think about it is that, and I think it's important people realize that destruction and desecration is a kind of an empowering act. You know, unable to create, at least I can destroy. And that that is a form of, that's a kind of dark transcendence in, in just destruction and desecration. Uh, that seems to be very alluring. I mean, probably always alluring, but more and more alluring in our time. I mean, people desecrate their bodies. I mean, more, I mean it's one thing to have a, a, a tattoo, but to be completely tattooed as I sometimes see people or the facial hardware and things like that. You know, I, I go back to National Geographic in my youth and, you know, African tribes are thinking, wow, mm. are we, are we retreating to something, you know, pagan, something pre, you know, that's, that, that's untouched by the biblical tradition? I think it's fascinating. You know, I once asked a rabbi, um, who was uh, who was who was too old and too wise and too uncaring to have any patience for the niceties of public conversations that dominate so much of, of our exchanges? I was like, you know, can you explain George Soros? To me? Can you explain all these Jews who are in great positions of power and privilege and use these positions for the absolute most unspeakably evil means supporting? Uh, causes and, and candidates that bring so much suffering into the world. How could someone who survived the Holocaust, how could someone who professes to be Jewish uh, support all these causes and support all these causes that bring so much misery to so many Jews? And he said something very interesting. He said, it's precisely because he's Jewish. He said, look, you know, if, if you're really serious about your, your Jewish pursuit and believe in your godly soul, 
uh, and really eagerly try to apply that that divine energy uh, that that true believers have. Uh, it is not that difficult for to take one or two wrong turns and apply all this force oh, right. yeah. just at the wrong direction. And if you do, you're actually a very dangerous weapon. I think the same thing is true for you know the, the Hamas marauders uh, who we've seen on October 7th. Men who profess themselves to be true believers yet have no access for a whole host of reasons to, uh, to a sound theological construct may find the allure of destruction not just, you know, kind of erotically appealing, like a bacchanalia of like, oh, yes. look at that, the blood and the smell and the, the release that comes from it. But, but if you squint just so, you could very easily believe that you're actually engaging in a redemptive project. I think that's actually true for a lot of the quote-unquote, you know, woke youth. These, to me, are highly religious individuals. Yeah, so like toppling a statue becomes a sort of redemptive... Taking a knee, yeah. uh, you know, the, the disrupting an event. Uh, this is almost a righteous act because, you know, the, 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 the law of energy, the laws of physics, you know, apply mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. I think, spirituality as well. No spiritual matter ever, ever dissipates, ever gets wasted. Uh, it is released into a system and it looks for other forces. And so once you've destroyed the church, once you've destroyed the family, once you've destroyed mm-hmm. the nation... Where would you put these religious interests? Well, they will have to find some other framework. And the destructive framework is the easiest because it's the most simple and the most immediately understandable. What are we doing here? We're taking down this statue. Bad person. Violence. It, it has the kind of logic that, that even a somewhat ignorant 18-year-old, if you look at these Hamas uh, terrorists, they're all very young men. Hmm. Uh, can easily understand what are we doing the enemy they are all soldiers even the babies therefore they all must be beheaded okay well that doesn't take a lot of intricate explaining and in terms of obviously whether it's Harvard or Penn or wherever the, the you know the students you know marching river to the sea blah 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 I, I, I don't see that in them bloodlust although there does seem to be a kind of kinship to the destructive, desecrating impulse. Sure. I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't walk among them fearing for my life. But I, I, I observe, and I think there's something like really spiritually unwell here, uh, in 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 this kind of at least verbal complicity with these these barbaric acts. I completely agree, but but I help us with that. If I mean, look, I, you catch me as I just uh, got off the plane from a visit to Israel, so I'm going to be more compassionate and merciful than I usually feel comfortable being in public. Uh, but having survived uh, several decades of academia myself, first as a, <laughs> as a graduate student and, and then as a professor, I could say that in retrospect, I could, I could sense that there is something immensely frustrating about the lack of clarity that you would receive uh, in, in higher education, contemporary higher education in America. You, you go to the finest schools, as I've had the misfortune of doing, uh, and you are engaged in these discussions that, as a point of departure, tell you that believing in anything that is, that is final, that is large, that is true, that is transcendent, uh, is out of the question. You have to check that impulse at the door. 
Right. In so fact, it creates a vacuum. Correct. Now, now, if you're if you're a human being, yeah. and the soul craves these things, you know, yes. the soul craves prayer. It craves transcendence. It craves salvation. Uh, and you come into this class, and they say, "Not a vast mister." Okay, well, uh, those kind of intellectual uh, parlor tricks, if you will, or or kind mm-hmm. of uh, party games, uh, could only carry you so far. Before you step up and say, "I would like something something larger, please." I would like something that is completely true. Now, if you have access to faith traditions, tried and true over the course of millennia, that is a wonderful thing. If those very faith traditions are presented to you as as a sort of sine qua non of all evil on earth and therefore totally out of, of reach to you, mm. then you, you look at the framework presented to you, okay, well, racism, whatever it is, uh, and you start developing or at least gravitating towards the most, shall we say, um, distilled approaches uh, you start craving something that would offer you a simple direct stairway to heaven uh, it's terrible that this is the only thing on offer but i listen to these kids and so, like my heart really you know warms up to them because they're religious kids they so, just have a bad religion yeah denied denied a, a true faith they they gravitate towards a false one a perverse one mm-hmm. It just shocks me that that people don't seem to be able to distinguish between deliberately killing innocent people and celebrating it in public versus you know Israel's uh, actions in Gaza, which in which innocent people are killed uh, regrettably um, as part of um, uh, effort to uh, to um, to destroy Hamas. That they can't make it. They can't recognize that those are fundamentally morally different realities. I mean, the, you could say that as part of our fallen nature, uh, warfare has an evil dimension to it because it's, 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 it's a sort of manifestation of the necessity of violence to restrain sin. Uh, and so it, it, it participates in, in the... We don't have warfare in the age to come, in other words. So you can acknowledge that, but... Not to be able to distinguish between legitimate use of force and and these kinds of atrocities. It just it just shocks me. My my best attempt at an answer here comes from one of the the handful I would say of meaningful texts I've read in graduate school. Uh, there weren't too many, but one that sticks with me is an amazing essay by Georges Bataille, uh, the French philosopher, who basically held that humanity's uh, ability to survive took a major blow the day you moved the abattoir, the slaughterhouse, from the center of town. So the second that you stopped seeing death as a natural construct that happens all around you, and in fact is essential to Mm. to your economic supply chain, to your survival, and started thinking of it as an abstraction, well, meat arrives in a nice package. It is purchased in the supermarket where it is to be enjoyed. I don't have to actually connect it to animals right. or death or the ritual nature of the killing. Uh, I just have to pay, you know, eight ninety for a nice, you know, package of eight sausages. Um, I think there's a lot of that going on. So that our, our our lack of any real connection to the reality of death allows us to engage in these kind of perverse moralistic uh, rituals that involve. Celebrating 
you know, the wrong Colbert. Death, death, death in the body. I mean, Carl Truman in, in, in this volume and, and in um, the Erasmus lecture, I think made a few very good points uh, about the desecration of man that had to do also with our kind of uh, way of disconnecting horribly uh, embodiment and personhood. You know, mm-hmm. if you everything else about your belief system tells you that these two things are 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 misaligned, uh, that you know, a fetus is embodied but not a person. You know that mm. you could uh, transition from one gender to another. You could have gender, uh, you know, gender. What do you call it? Gender supported, gender care, gender affirming, gender affirming, uh, correct care. Uh, care. Uh, then you've already stepped. Uh, then you're already having an out of body experience. Yes. Why would That's you? That's a good point. Right, yes. Why would you? Why would you have any real compassion for for these poor creatures being robbed of their of their lives and their bodies? If to you the the, the actual true essence of, of humanity exists in some other you know transformative sphere that mm-hmm. has very little to do with real bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a very easy step to take, actually. You say, oh, well, you know, it's all, it's all theoretical and in a real sense, unreal. You know, I've, I've been struggling to grapple with my, my favorite phenomenon in this war has been a young uh, Palestinian social media influencer who goes by the name or has been given the moniker Mr. Fafo. Uh, Fafa is an acronym that I, I won't repeat. His first things is a family magazine, uh-huh. and some some of these Fs stand for bad words. Uh, but uh, basically, this this social media influencer is 24, and he posts very popular videos out of Gaza. Uh, he's a Hamas supporter, and one day he would dress up as a doctor and stand at the emergency room and shout orders. He would be a radiologist. The very next day, uh, he would be a singer. He would be singing a victory song. The third day, he would be sitting with a plastic doll that he pretends is a child uh, and uh, shouting things like, look, the Jews killed my baby. Uh, the next day, he would be in a body bag and then start moving because he couldn't you know, actually <laughs> pretend to be a corpse for, for that long. And you watch these videos, and your first reaction is laughing. I mean, this is silly. This is clearly an actor right. pretending to be a real person in real life battle situations. But then you start thinking um, and, and come to the conclusion, at least I have, that he's actually the greatest kind of embodiment of, of our current phase of morality because he understands, as do his followers, that the lines separating anything real from, from anything you know, ephemeral uh, or, or transient uh, are no longer existent if we're only dealing uh, with sort of ideological constructs that we could change at will, if human embodiment and personhood aren't intertwined, uh, if there is no fixed truth, then why not hold up a, a doll and say, this is my baby and the Jews killed it? Uh, what's unreal about that? It's no less real than claiming there are 57 genders. Right. One of my, you know, Israel's one of the, it's really the only advanced, developed country where you have a above replacement rate fertility. Mm-hmm. And, of course, having children is a profound act of affirmation of our embodiment. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, does, uh, does the, the, the ever-present reality of actual real-world threat to the existence of the state of Israel contribute to this Israeli sentiment that you know, this life is real, it's precious, it's the only one we have, 
uh, you know, short of our resurrection, um, and that therefore we have to love it and embrace it and promote it and defend it. I think that's a huge. I think it's a great question, and I think it's a huge part uh, of why Israel is thriving in so many ways. Not only are we well above the replacement rate, uh, but also if you measure happiness, you know, those are silly yet so heartwarming yeah. kind of surveys of international happiness. Israel comes out in the top four uh, routinely, which is which is a, a ridiculous thing to say for a country surrounded by you know Hezbollah, Hamas, Iran, like every Syria, every kind of rogue regime in in, in the world. Um, but I think, other than a very high uh, percentage of of believers, uh, and not just believers, but 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 practicing Jews, people mm-hmm. who have their tradition really be the foundational uh, kind of North Star of, of their lives. Um, I think this reality factor is is a hugely important part mm-hmm. because it's very, very, very difficult uh, to become enamored with, uh, you know, ridiculous theories uh, like the ones that grip young people here uh, when you have this very concrete threat. Uh, really, when you live in this corner of the world, you only have two choices. You're either the life cult or the death cult. Mm. Uh, Israel chose one way, Hamas chose a very different way. Which is, by the way, why, why Palestinians, I mean, this is so interesting. It explains also why Palestinians have routinely refused uh, any real offer or attempt or support or help to build a thriving nation of their own. If, if you look at, at Gaza, for example, Gaza is and has been for a very long time at the fact of state. It has everything that a state has, including an army, including all the, all mm-hmm. the trappings of, of statehood. Uh, it has used all of its funds and all of its capacities and all of its energy uh, for one singular purpose, and that purpose is to kill Jews. Uh, not to build anything, not to make anything better, not to even practice any kind of belief system that may be their belief system. The only goal is destruction. Uh, it is it is kind of a terrifying, uh, sort of bizarro mirror of, of the Israeli urge, which is to build and live. One of my friends says, you know, you go around Israel, you only see two things, babies and children and construction cranes. Uh, that tells you, I think, a lot about this. The, in our situation, you know, the higher you go up in elite education, um, to the sort of tippy top fancy pants universities, we have both uh, the least amount of reality principle in the sense that these are the most well endowed, coddled, you know, 18 year olds in human history. Uh, and it's the least amount of influence of religion. And, sure. uh, and my worry is that the same destructive impulse, the same, you know, unable to believe in life, they embrace death. Um, and and I, I, that's my concern. We have it's incubating on our shores, and it'll that? take a different form because the, you know the realities and circumstances. But honestly, it, take, but it could be equally dangerous. It's taking the same form. You know, you have to stop and ask why uh, the great, overwhelming support for the Palestinian cause uh, on, on on virtually every campus, and not just support, but a kind of virulent, uh, sort of often violent um, attempt to march for for Gaza? I think the answer is because this cause uh, isn't 
the expression of support uh, for the legitimate desire of some Palestinian people to have uh, sovereignty over mm-hmm. their own affairs, which I think is an important and dignified goal. Uh, it's not uh, even a statement of concern that war uh, does cause very re- regrettable casualties uh, on, on both sides. Uh, it is strictly, I believe, uh, a an understanding that the true cause of, of this Palestinian effort, uh, the true the true goal isn't necessarily Israel. I think it very much is us. It's America. It's it's our way of life. It's it's faith. It's family. It's nation. It is targeting us, which is why it's marching on the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree lighting, which is why it's marching on the Thanksgiving Day Parade, to name but two examples that yeah. pro Hamas supporters recently tried to defile, uh, because it wants to bring this conflict to our shores. It wants to capture this energy, uh, this religious energy of a younger generation, with one, you know, green, white, uh, black, and red flag, and to say, this is the banner under which you could all march uh, if you're looking for some cathartic death cult uh, to call your own. Uh, and as such, all of a sudden, you start to see it doing things that it has no other reason to do. If, if we're being very generous and saying that the people who uh, marched at the Rockefeller tree lighting ceremony were truly interested in, in ending the war in Gaza so that they could spare innocent uh, Palestinian civilian lives. Why are you attacking police officers and burning their hats? Why, why are you expressing all kinds of violence towards clearly non-Jewish, non-Israeli Americans standing there? Uh, the answer is because the goal was always something different. The, goals was, the goal was always the disruption of, of the tenets of belief that we have here in this country, mm-hmm. uh, which is why it's so scary and why it's so prevalent. And that doesn't happen with any other war. You don't see, you know, uh, proponents of, say, Armenians. Exactly. Azerbaijanis are evil. Armenians are We will shut the George Washington Bridge until you recognize that, you know, Artsakh is under siege from yes. the Azeris. Uh, that literally doesn't happen with any other cause. Except for the Palestinians, who by now received, you know, God knows how many hundreds of billions of dollars in the international community and proceeded to build nothing and pay all that money for no other cause but death and destruction. It's an ideological construct. It's I, very dangerous. I, I see, I think the, I see, what I see is if, if what is the foundation of the West, the biblical tradition? Mm-hmm. What is the taproot of the biblical tradition, the Jewish people? And so I think the state of it, if you, if you are, if you're bound and determined to destroy the West, and many people, young people in the West, have a suicidal impulse, start with the Jews. You start with the Jews. Well, uh, we're in a difficult place, but we have, uh, we still can praise God. If and, I may, and, 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 and that's its own act of, of uh, life. Of, it's the most fundamental life-affirming act. Hallelujah! And and I don't even feel. That we're in a difficult place. Like we're, we're recording here. It's a Thursday. It's the last night of the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah, uh, which is truly an amazing story to me because it's a story of a small band of religious zealots who are told by a very large progressive cosmopolitan empire uh, to commit idolatry or else. Uh, these people refused. They fought a bloody battle. They won. Uh, and they established a dynasty that lasted for about 150 years. I think we're at this moment in time in which those of us who right now appear 
very few in number and in influence. Uh, you know, some Jews, some Catholics, some evangelicals, some Muslims who are sitting here being like, we don't recognize this place and don't like this culture, don't like anything about this movement, uh, are banding together, fighting, uh, and, and the light that we will bring, and we're already bringing to replace darkness um, is considerable and everlasting. Amen. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. My absolute pleasure.